You are listening to The Exchange. I'm your host, Dr. Lorraine. Hello, everybody. I am so glad to have my next guest with me today, Felicia Miller. She is here to talk about an important topic that is much needed, and that is mental health stigmas in the church. There are so many conversations that we can have about mental health, but one of the ones that we're going to talk about today are just trying to break down some of the barriers and some of the struggles that we have to deal with when talking about mental health in the church. So, Felicia, thank you so much, so, so much for being with me today and being my guest. I am honored to have you with me. Oh, thank you for having me, Dr. Lorraine. Oh my gosh. I love you. You're so amazing. I'm so excited for this podcast and what you're going to do. Um, this is, I, I love talking about mental health. I love talking about spit, the stigma. I, I like talking about the, just all of it. Any, any person that will sit down, I will talk with them to demystify it, validate, educate, you know, all the stuff because the church across all the different denominations of Christianity, they're behind minimally 50 years when we start talking about psychoeducation and psychotherapy and clinical and psych meds. They're so far behind because for too many generations, it was taught, you know, there is no such thing as brain modalities or brain therapy. There's no need for counseling, you know, prayer heals everything. And, you know, there was such a disconnect that it was discouraged to talk about anything. It was discouraged to go see a counselor. And so we're, we're fighting against the, the multiple generations. Yes, we are. And in 2023, in Jesus name, we're going to do that. And that really is what this podcast is all about. So I'm so glad you're here because that's what, you know, it's not so much of trying to be an influencer. And I thought about that. It's about being an educator. (laughs) It's about education and it's about really helping people in the church. So I'm so glad you're with me. So I wanted to start out with you introducing yourself. Just tell me a little bit about where you're from, your education, you know, what you're doing now. Um, Let's start with that. Yeah. So I'm Felicia Miller. I have a licensed mental health counselor, which is an LMHC in the state of Indiana, which means I am behavioral medical provider. I can take insurance like your doctor. I can give you provisional diagnosis, like There's a lot of really cool stuff I can do. I can go to court. They want me to go to court over someone who is clergy. We've experienced that, you know, as an expert witness. Um, I live in Indianapolis. I've got, you know, little humans and furry dogs. And this year I will have been married to my husband for 20 years. Um, So I, me, I like to be outside. That's my, that's my thing. Education. I graduated from IBC. I started, so I have a cosmetology license in the state of Indiana, so I can legally also do your hair too, cut color. Okay, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> I did that for years. I still hold it because I'm bougie about hair products. And then I have, I started at IUPUI in psychology when 9-11 happened. But at the time I was working in the clubs, making a lot of money. And when they were like, oh, you'll only make like, you know, 25,000. I was like, I'm out. Cause I make more money working at the club. Why would I do this? It's stupid. And then I wound up going to IBC graduated and I, I needed IBC at the time, you know, cause I was so far one direction and, you know, going far the other direction, kind of helped me find a good balance in the middle. 
And then I got my master's. I was one of the last ones who was accepted from IBC into Liberty into their master's in counseling program. And that was a whole God thing because I was actually going for interpreting for ASL. Mm. And I got the phone call that I got in and was like, I don't know what this means, babe. They said, I'm in, I'm in, in this school and it's accredited and it's a master's and it's for counseling. And he's like, well, let's figure it out. <laughs> and we didn't look back. <laughs> well, that is really awesome. And I, I also have the same, so going to school at Liberty. So, um, so tell me, what are you doing? I know that you and your husband have done several things as far as ministry goes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We've done kids church. Oh my gosh. We did that. We did Jesus house two, Jesus house one interpreted for the deaf. I went into prisons for with the women a few times. Um, we took a big step back when we had the human invasion, you know, I got handed three babies at once and God bless us with three babies at once. And I was like, you know, I really don't care about none of you people right now because I have three kids running three different directions. So I get to be mom right now. Mm-hmm. And we we took a huge step back and we stopped and um, finished school. He's just now kind of getting back. We experienced our own religious trauma and we experienced some you know stuff that really hurt us. And it took us a while to heal from that and be able to talk about it. So he's just now kind of getting back into like engaging with stuff and doing, you know, more things in the church that he did for a long time. And he just was like, nope. mm -mm." And so right now, what I do, my work every day is my, that's full-time, it's full-time ministry. So, you know, everyone always goes, oh, you're, you, you know, ministry is being able to play or sing or preach. I don't do any of those. I sit in a room with somebody who's broken, listen to them, hug them, hold their hand, cry with them, celebrate with them, pray with them, point them to Jesus. And it's just, it's a different, it's different. And I work with churches to help them stop hurting people. Mm-hmm. And that, that is the real ministry, being able to be with somebody one-on-one and help them when they're broken like that. That is the Lord's calling. I mean, I mean, that's always what I was taught, but I've had people tell me to my face, what I do is not real ministry. What I do is not needed in the church. Mm. Um, I've actually been told by people that I put more value on what I do. And I don't mean like me, I mean, just like the counseling in general, like whether it is you doing Christian counseling my friend, you know, my friends at the CAC, you know, just that counseling that us coming in and doing this, um, I've been told that that does not have as much merit or, you know, room or place. And that I put too much emphasis on it and there's really not a need for it. And I'm like, wow. That's a whole other session in itself. I tell you, because that's my mind, but all right. Okay. Yeah. It's, I just, I, you know, it's, but it has changed. I mean, it's what, 2023. So I started my company in 2020. And before that I worked at a residential. So I worked with sex trafficking victims. So I worked with the fatherless and the abandoned. I mean, you don't get no more ministry than that. Right. And, you know, I remember I had this lady one time, she was like, are you doing real ministry? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm working with these girls and I'm sitting with them and I'm holding them while they cry and we're praying. And she's like, no, you know, like real ministry. And I was like, I'm sorry. I must have missed the part where I'm, I'm, 
I must have missed that lesson at all my degrees and certifications because in trainings and, you know, I was like, mm, okay, God bless, God bless. <laughs> oh, goodness. That yeah. is interesting. So, yeah. so tell me about, um, you said that you mentioned that you are part of the Center for Apostolic Counseling. So you are part of that group, which I am just so thrilled for. I know a couple of years ago, um, that was created and it is endorsed by the UPCI mm -hmm. and you have started. So when did you start Greater Purpose Counseling? You're, this is I, the time that you started. Yeah, I started Greater Purpose Counseling in 2020. Okay. So it was like in 2019. Um, I just kept felt like God was like, you, it's, you need to be doing this. You need to, you know, go out on your own. And I was doing research and just, you know, listening to podcasts, listening to YouTube. Like, how do I start a private practice? What do I do? Because I, I was very clinically trained. I love the people who trained me because that's why my brain is the way it is. I, I love them and, and they're amazing. And the lady I did supervision with was a Christian. She was a spiritual Christian. And she'd be like, Mm -mm, we need to fast. That is spiritual girl. Go get your oil, go pray on them walls. And then other times it would be like, this is clinical. And I was, I was taught that. And so that was wonderful for me being an apostolic. And I remember in 2019 at general conference, I was like, who are my people? Mm. Where are my clinical people who have done the work? And that's when, I, that's the year that the CAC was endorsed. And I met Esmeralda and Chad and I was like, oh, you are my people. Cause I met other people. And I was like, you're not my people. You're not my people. Cause they were like, I didn't do the school thing. I just have God, God is my teacher. God bless you. Where's my people. And so when I found them, I was like, here, take my money, take my money. I want to join. I want to mm -hmm. be with you guys. And, um, and so then I wound up starting and I remember I was sitting in the back. It was I have it marked in my Bible, it was like September or something. And I was sitting in the back and I remember my pastor was talking about, you know, when the horse is back in the day, they tortured you and they pulled you four different directions. And, you know, like you've got to know what you're doing. And it was just like, God was like, you're, you're done being bitter and angry. You need to get about my business. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. And so I talked with a few different people we kind of, you know, started crunching numbers. My husband and I was like, okay, if, we, if I had like $5,000, I could totally say I'm open. And we had an angel investor. I love her. I love the angel investor. I, I respect her. I still love her. I still appreciate her. Um, and she was like, here, take my card. God told me to give you $2,500. And we had $2,500. And so it was like, okay we're going to go and we're going to hit. And, you know, it was like, make sure come January one, you can say you're open and you're taking people. Right. And I was like, cool, I can do that. And so I'm like talking to my pastor, you know, love my pastoral team. Like I will fight somebody over my pastoral team. Don't talk crazy about my team because <laughs> they're, they're my people. And next thing I knew, like I started getting some people and I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And then just so much burnout, you know, I mean, I, I literally couldn't do the sex trafficking thing anymore. I was on call on the time. And I just was, I was a very broken and burned out person. And I just remember freaking out my, you know, there was a person who was borderline, since we just had that conversation, there was a person who's borderline. They were on suicide ideation. I knew it was just for attention 
And I was like, I don't care. I don't care. And I just like, I tossed the chair. I did something threw something colorful words came out my mouth. I was like, I'm going home to my kids. I can't do this. And I went home and I remember sitting on my bed and just crying. I was like, this is not who I am. This is not who God called me to be. Like I should care. You know, I was like, I can't do this. And so I went up talking with my supervisor and she was like, Felicia, God told me you're done working here. Hmm. And I was like, okay, tell me that dude, I'm not listening. (laughs) (laughs) And so she was like, put your notice in. God told me you're done. And so my last day was March 6, 2020 at the agency. Hmm. And the same day I found out the day before I found out my mom had terminal cancer and I called my friend, she owns a cleaning company. I'm like, yo, can I just work part-time with you while I build my company? And like, I don't care if I got to clean toilets and it's less money. Like I get to hang out with you. And so I was doing that. And then here comes 2020 and the pandemic. Hmm. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at my husband and my husband's freaking out. Cause he's like, we have a mortgage. We have a van payment. We have children. Like, what do you mean you're quitting your job? Like, I believe in God and I believe like, but babe, I yeah. see numbers. I pay the bills. Like, what are we doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and then here we were, like, I had to homeschool the kids. And so I was like, all of a sudden it started snowballing and I started like more and more people were calling me and we were navigating what virtual was and I had mm-hmm. just paid like he he cut a check my husband cut a check to pay six months of my office rent but I couldn't go to my office mm-hmm. and so and that's you know that's kind of how it started and then the videos the videos and the Facebook messenger like my Facebook page it started because one of my sisters was like Felicia how can you help people like you know all this stuff like how could you help people and I'm like I'm one person I don't know so she was like jump on there and do some videos and so I started doing videos just mm-hmm. to explain like mental health and the next thing I knew it was like oh I got more people and more people and more people and then it was like oh wait a minute either I start a wait list or I hire somebody and so I hired somebody and then you know it turned into hey we need to hire somebody else and then it turned into now there's three clinical fully clinically licensed people and two life coaches and then someone who's got another person who's been with me from the beginning who does the psychoeducation groups wow yeah so it has grown because of need because there has been such a need and you're right 2020 it really opened up the door for people to reach out and and i know that uh also telehealth has been a big thing and I am so thankful for telehealth because well of course during telehealth that was when your insurance would pick up counseling I know that I was so excited because I was like I can get free counseling because it's 2020 and my insurance will pay for it I can do telehealth hallelujah you know and then Mm -hmm. they stopped that and they started I started getting billed and I was like oh okay well you know but you know it was so worth it so um it's worth it if you need it it's worth it so it's worth it that's I always knew because telehealth wasn't a thing when I graduated in 2016 from Liberty. Mm -hmm. It was like a, you know, maybe you would do it. But like the year before you had people who were like, oh, I'm telehealth only. And I was like, "Uh, I work in trauma and people like to be in the same room because they want to feel your energy. So I don't know if that'll work for me but maybe I'll do it for those people who live on the other side of the state that need help. Like Mm -hmm. I saw it as a good tool and a resource for those people who were not near my office, but not as a way that I wanted to do all sessions. And so then it turned into like, everybody was like, 
oh, how do I do telehealth with a five-year-old? <laughs> yeah, it became a whole thing. And so now I still do it. Now it's, it is, I have a hybrid, you know, I got people who literally live on the, uh, all different sizes. I, I'm learning so many towns in Indiana. I didn't even know existed. Cause I'm like, okay, where is that? Okay. What's the next biggest town? Nope. What's the next biggest town? Cause I'm like, I have no idea where these places are. And so I do that. And then I have people who still come in the office. And then we do have some people um, that we go to their home mm, okay. or I've, I've got some individuals where they're trauma. We do some exposure type stuff where it's like we work on meeting in public. And so it's like, I love the hybrid. That works for you guys. And that's yeah. that's awesome that you were able to do that and provide that for so many of your clients there that are in need in, in Indiana. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit. I wanted to start off with, and since you have worked in this field for quite a while and have all of this experience, have your own company, I wanted to talk about what are some of the biggest misconceptions that Christians have about counseling. So, you know, and there are so many, (laughs) but when you are talking to somebody who is not familiar with Christian counseling and maybe has been in church all of their life and they're thinking Christian counseling, that's a thing, you know, so what are some of the misconceptions that people have? I, that's such a good question. There's, there's so many, and I will try to limit it because that is, that is a conversation all by itself that could go right. on. One of the biggest things that we always get is I want, you know, I need someone who's faith-based. I need someone who's Christian-based mm-hmm. and we are science-based and Christian integrated because somebody who is like Christian counseling, faith-based means that all they use is the Bible. They're really not using anything else. It okay. is all biblical based, scripture based. They usually have a clergy license, whatever, whatever their organization, their denomination is, that kind of stuff. But it is like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna tote this line really close to specific doctrines and religious practices. Christian is your, you know, the clinical part is I can take insurance. Christian counseling cannot. I can give you a provisional diagnosis. There's screens that I can do with you and I can absolutely give you an assessment and I'm going to integrate your Christian faith with it. I'm going to definitely acknowledge your spirituality. I'm going to be like, so how much do you pray? How much do you read your Bible? How much do you, you know, do X, Y, Z? Oh, you don't do any of that. Okay. You might want to get that in line because there's such a thing with, you know, heart, mind, body, spirit, this type of stuff. But I will get people also another misconception is that um, I'm not educated. <laughs> like they don't understand, you know, they'll be like, we literally, I've had this conversation recently with quite a few different ministers, um, in different boards, synagogues, temples and stuff. Mm-hmm. The church will pay money for a big preacher to come in an evangelist, a, you know, here's, here's the hot person who's going around and doing youth services. They will pay for someone to come in and do a music thing, you know, like bring in, um, I love Dr. Lyndall Anderson. He's one of my favorite people, but like, Hey, let's bring in Dr. Lyndall Anderson, pay him what he's worth. Cause he's got a doctorate. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's got all these years of experience worth every penny. But then when they go, Oh, well, what are your rates? And I tell them, they're like, Oh no, we don't pay that. That's too much. It should be free. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> well, your education. No. Yeah. I'm like, do you understand how long I was in school for this? Like I was in school. 
there's only one more degree above me and that's a doctorate. Like I could go back and get my doctorate. I just don't want to, because it's, it's not worth it to me for what I do. But like, you know, we'll talk about stuff or we'll say, you know, and I, and this is why I love my pastoral team. Cause they were like, do not ever let anyone devalue what you've done, you know, because we do bring in people, we do bring in these things. They were like, you are worth everything. You've worked hard to get here. You know, and they were like, make sure people are not devaluing. And that's, that's probably one of the biggest things that I do see is they will just kind of dismiss it and be like, oh, no, we don't need to spend money on that. Oh, but wait, we will bring in this person who has a name as a preacher or who has a name in something else. And it's like, time out. I may not be a preacher, but I've got like a seven year degree and I can give you a diagnosis. Right. So insurance is going to charge you way more than I'm charging you, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like time out. And so there, the other thing that I hear a misconception is the concept that, oh, your ministry is free, huh. <laughs> you know, well, this is a ministry. It's free. No, it's not free. I, I got to pay a mortgage. Mm-hmm. I, I'm cheaper. Our rates are cheaper than some of the other clinical people. But that's because we want to help more people. If I make my rates so high that nobody can afford it, then I can't help anybody. But if I make my rates at a reasonable rate that we can buy groceries, but at the same time, I can help more people. To me, that's a win-win. But there is a misconception that if there is Christian counseling, well, that should be free. Mm. You know, or um, another misconception, there's certain things I can be trained in and I can get certified in that other people cannot. Like it's borderline illegal for people to get trained and certified in certain modalities that I use on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And then I will have someone that will ask me like, Hey, have you ever heard about this? And I'm like, you know, yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. Would you get trained in it? No, I won't get trained in that. Why? Well, because you can get trained in that. You can do that. Mm -hmm. And then they will look at me and they'll be like, but don't you want to do this? This is great. I'm like missing the point. Like if you, without a clinical medical license, behavioral medical license, can get trained in that. I don't need to get trained in that. I would rather you get trained on that and you can help people with that because I need to stay in my lane and get trained in the things that you can't get trained in so that when certain, like, if this doesn't work with them, then it's like hot potato. Hey, great. You tried these other things that were, you know, cheaper and more available and, you know, like just kind of at a different level. And then, okay, you did that. You still need help. Now you can hot potato to me to the next level. You know, and that's one thing I, I've seen some people's faces and they get offended. They're like, sorry, like. I wanted to go back to what you were mentioning. <laughs> we will pay a lot of money for big preachers or for people to do music. And that's wonderful. But I think it really has come down to this. And I've been thinking about this recently. It's the, what do we think matters? Like, what is the most important to us? What do we value? Yeah. Oh, that's so big. And if we do not value people's mental health, we care more about other things. And not that those things are not important, but I feel like they are equally important, if not more, because we're helping people do something that most people cannot do. Most people do not have a mental health license who are also apostolic. Those people are far few and in between. They, (laughs) 
Preach it. They do not exist like everyday life. You know, people are always asking me, and I don't have my license yet. In Jesus' name, I will. But man, people are like, do you have a license? And I said, nope. I don't, I don't have a license quite yet. I'm not going to go there yet, but it's yeah. far few and in between. And for me, that's wh- where the value is because yeah. we have a lot of preachers and we got a lot of music people and I might get in trouble saying this, but we have a lot of people, but no, I'm not going to get in trouble. Cause you know what? It's the truth. We, it's the truth. It's the truth. It's the truth. But even knowing your value, that's such a good, that's, so you have a Sunday school department, right? What do you got? You got kids, you got parents bringing in somebody clinical, you know, once a quarter that lives in your state, you know, because the CAC has a ton of people in all kinds of states, right? We don't have them in every state, but we have a decent amount, but being able to bring in somebody and say, Hey, this quarter, we're going to bring in someone who's going to talk to the parents about parenting techniques. Mm -hmm. We're going to bring somebody in that can talk to the Sunday school department about how to handle meltdowns, Mm -hmm. like how to structure stuff. You know, we're going to come in and have someone come in and do team building. You know, like we're going to have someone come in and speak on these very real things. Like, I think it's, it's changing the mind shift again, back to what ministry is Mm -hmm. because for too many years, ministry was, well, you got to sing, play, piano, preach. Mm-hmm. And for women, and pop out babies, cookies. <laughs> cookies. cookies and pop out babies. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to change and add. Yes, those are great ministries. I appreciate a good preacher that's healthy. I appreciate, you know, a good singer. I mean, I got friends who sing and I'm like, Jesus, you just touched the throne of God. Thank <laughs> you for your talent, you know, but like we have to also go, okay, are we just this surface level? Or did God create a body and a church and a mind and all these things that go so much deeper? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have to be able to approach that. We got to go holistic and go, okay, hold on. We need to add to what we're doing. So we're really helping people. And one of the big things that I'm getting like all the time is I get questions from people who are in ministry positions. Where can I find resources? Where can I do trainings? I'm out of my scope of practice. You know, I mean, I get phone calls, text messages, emails, you know, hi, my name is so-and-so. I live in this state. I live here. I pastor. And they're not even apostolic. They're just, they Google and they find me or, you know, someone told them and they're from other denominations and they're like, I just don't know what I'm doing. And that's a real thing. Because most pastors, almost, almost huge majority, I want to say 90, 90, 95, they are not trained and they are pastors and they can do, they can help people with pastoral counseling, but they do not have the education to do what, you know, to give a clinical and mental diagnosis to really treat Girl, there's not even people who are adequate to pastoral counsel. That's true. There's not. There is an entire master's degree dedicated to pastoral counseling. And I give mad props to the pastors who put their parishioners first Mm -hmm. by getting further education. That's big. That they do what is best for their people to not cause more damage by investing in that, getting the master's in pastoral counseling going and finding certifications that are legit, going to trainings, going to different things and going time out. I need to understand grief. 
time out. I need to understand trauma. I need to really understand addictions. I need to really understand because they're helping their pet. Mm-hmm. That investment's going to come back because you're going to not damage somebody and then send them out someplace else. And you're going to actually help them. And the church is going to do what it's supposed to do, which is be a healing place. Right. Yep. And that's, you can go on that forever. I wanted to say too, that go back to the fact that we need people who are counselors. We, I know that I mentioned, you know, we, we will pay a lot of money for singers and preachers and you know, we need to have those people because they bring the atmosphere of worship and praise and the spirit yeah. of God breaks the yoke. But like you said, we also need to go a level deeper and we need to be able to offer things for people, you know, to help counsel and get them through everyday life when they aren't in a church service, you know, and God can move and God can do so many things in a, in a service. I think, you know, God can heal and can give strength in a service, but yes, but what we you... still need the other thing too. They go hand in hand. They're just as important. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. Like I think there was too many generations where also on top of everything we talked about where it was like, I had to present with a good face and I'm okay. I have the Holy Ghost. I'm good. God is great. God's You're good. I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, there's like a permanent mask. Like, okay, I can't be honest. I can't say that I'm broken. Mm-hmm. My family died. My husband lost his job. Uh, you know, X, Y, Z, my kid is running amok. The adoption didn't work out. Like I had a miscarriage, but Praise the Lord, I'm great. I'm just I'm dying on the inside. I'm gonna get the victory. I might drive my car off a bridge. <laughs> you know, like we have to cultivate an environment that somebody can come. God, we were built for community. Okay. Right. We wouldn't have the 12 tribes of Judah. We wouldn't have so many countries and, and cultures that are tribal if we weren't built for community. Our communities are toxic because you have to be fake and go I'm great praise the lord I can't come to you because if I give you anything vulnerable you'll use it as a weapon Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we gotta stop that we have to have a culture where it's like you know what I'm not okay I'm not and it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to not be okay right you know and I think for too long in too many denominations that's not been the reality you know because somebody else has a low emotional iq and the second you show up and you're like i'm not having a good day my husband died i just got diagnosed with xyz oh hold on you know we got you got to stop crying because you made me uncomfortable yes and that's the thing too is that we we realize that it's they make us uncomfortable and we don't know how to deal with it so we just want to shut it down and uh we just want to be like you just pray and you just shout and you know, everything's going to be okay. And you know what, that could be for temporarily that could be, but you know, we're still going to have to live with grief and with trauma and with mental health disorders and all of these things. And so I wanted to segue into my next question. And so now that we're kind of talking about this is what are the majority of the things that you see Christians struggling with? And they struggle with so many things and that's another sort of thing, but what are the major things is you as a clinician see um, people struggling with, especially Christians when they come in to see you. Most of my people are Christians of some, of some faith. I only, I could probably count on my hand how many people I see that are not 
self-professing Christians that are active in a local, you know, church, assembly, synagogue, temple, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, pornography, men and women, all ages, mm-hmm. the little kids all the way up. Pornography, all ages, men, women, kids, period. Infidelity of emotional, physical, you know, at some point there was infidelity. And this is like, you know, this isn't just, oh, those people who weren't in church. Like this is people in the church. In church. There's a lot of people that have affairs in the church. We don't like to talk about it, but it happens. Okay. Domestic violence. We do see a lot of domestic violence or, you know, women who, women and men, you know, both, we've seen both, where they got out of it and they're still trying to figure out how to heal from the domestic violence. Okay. You know, so I have been on the team of helping people escape and get away. We've also been on teams where, you know, post, you know, people in shelters and different things. When you're married to someone who's charismatic, man or woman. And they're the one in the front praising the Lord. And, oh my God. And they're smiling at everybody. It's always the person you don't think it is. It's the most care. I always get funny when I see the most charismatic person that's down in front. I'm like, hmm, what's really your story? Because that's usually the person who behind closed doors, you, they're smacking their spouse. They're raping their spouse. They're hurting their kids. You know, there's something more going on but we don't talk about it in the church. And if you bring it forward and say, Hey, my husband, my wife, my child, who's abusing me, like whoever this is going on in our home, if they have a reputation within their community, within their family, within their, just even outside of the religious community, but in their actual local community, like they have nothing to do with religion. They have nothing to do with religion, but like they're an activist in their community. If you come and say, oh, well, this person who's out here feeding the homeless is coming home and feeding us, then who's going to support you and believe you? Right. That's true. So those, those are all big things that we see. Um, We see a lot of religious trauma. Um, We see a lot of that. I do specifically. I mean, we see a lot of anxiety and depression. And so, and that's, that's across the board, people in church, out of church, clergy, like how and I've seen people who their anxiety is so bad like it's debilitating you know and so it's we see a lot of the trauma is the big one and the addictions and like people feeling like they can't go any place and be supported mm-hmm. because no one's going to believe them mm. that's that's unfortunate that they can't find a safe place, but how wonderful it is when they can connect with you or connect with somebody who's a counselor that they can be heard and believed and supported the way that God intended. (laughs) So (laughs) thankful for that. Thankful for that and that ministry. Um, But I also wanted to go into, this is one of my kind of last minute questions that I mentioned to you is when we have somebody who is in our church and you talked about how that, you know, people won't be believed because they're the first person at the altar. And I always think kind of the same thing, Um, you know, not always, but I kind of think there's some sort of um, trying to overcompensate. I see the overcompensation because Mm -hmm. they really, really need to do that so that they will not be found out. (laughs) Yeah. If I'm over here, and I have all this going on. You won't see all this back here. Right, right. This is a, just distracting you from what's going on. And so yeah. I wanted to ask you, 
can you have a clinical diagnosis? Can you have something like a borderline personality disorder or a depressive disorder or something and still be a person that loves God and goes to church? And I know those are two separate things. We're talking about somebody that's abusive. We're just talking about that. Can you have, can these two things coexist? Can you be somebody that pays your tithes who sincerely wants to please God, who loves God, and but is still struggling with a mental health disorder. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for far too long, those people have had to live in shame and silence by the not even always the pastors of the church. Sometimes it's just the people in the church. You know, sometimes the pastor is like, hey, come here, I will help you. The wife, the first lady, the, you know, they're like, hey, we got you. We understand you really do live with this, but it's the, the side people mm. that will cause the shame. It's the side people who make the sneak. <sighs> well, you just being you, you just doing this. You just so extra, you know, you, and it's like, wait a minute, but my pastor understands and wait a minute now, sister, so-and-so who's got this reputation of being on her knees, praying all the time. Like <sighs> I feel less than so I'm going to give up. Yes, you can have it. The trick, I don't want to, and I, a trick is the wrong word. The key component, because if I say trick, then it's like, you know, woo, you know, we're doing a trick, we're doing a magic trick, and that's not it. The key component is does the person with the mental diagnosis understand and accept the reality that they have a mental diagnosis? Mm-hmm. Because if they don't, that's going to be rough. Right. <laughs> you know, that that's going to be rough. And a perfect, here is a perfect example of borderline personality. There was an individual I met them one time and everybody was like, oh, Felicia, you got to meet this, this individual. They're so in tune with God. And I'm using non-binary terms. So that way nobody's like, oh, I know who she's talking about. <laughs> I don't want that. So that's why I'm using non-binary terms. So this individual everybody that I knew was like, you got to meet this person. This person's so amazing. They're so in tune with God. And I was like, all right, cool, whatever. Bet, like, let me meet them. So it was arranged for me to be at someone's house while this person was there. And it came down and sat next to me. And I was just like, you're borderline. You're not in tune with God. You're borderline, you know? And so then, and I, when I'm around people with personality disorders, I try to avoid telling anybody that I'm a therapist because then it turns into, oh, I should be my therapist. I'm sure you hear that a lot. I'm like, nope. nope and, yeah. I, I, and that's exactly what happened. This person was like, oh, I need you to be my therapist. And they totally invaded my space. And if you know me, I don't do well with that. I will push you really far away from me physically because... I need you to be arm's distance out of my personal space. And this person was like, ah! <laughs> so I was like, no. And, you know, and I really went down the checklist. Like I, I was able to gather so much information from this individual so fast. and was like, no, I, I will not be your therapist. I won't be this. I won't be that. And they were offended. And I'm like, sorry, sorry, but I'm really not. Um, I, I'm not going to be your therapist. So fast forward, this person would have crisis after crisis, borderline crisis. (gasps) I lost this. I lost my job. I lost my car. I lost my, my, my person I'm dating. I, you know, whatever. And it was just crisis. It was just, Oh, 
I need someone to come and rescue me all the time. Then it became very eccentric, you know, revelations from God that don't necessarily align with the Bible. That is so big. That is so big. I have to stop you right there because it really is. And when something goes against the word of God, this is why we have to know the word of God. Because if it goes against the word of God, it's not God. It can't be God because God is not going to tell you and how much you pray or anything. So I'm sorry, keep going, but it's just not. Yeah. No. And so a person who is borderline they will you a, a marked tenant is abandonment you abandoned me so i have to act out in a way to get you to come back and they will hijack everything they are the center of attention everywhere they go you know they have usually they risky behavior okay so this is at some point impulsive behavior yes whether it's a lot of drugs, it's a lot of sex, it's a lot of spending, it's, you know, but it's stuff that could get them hurt or get them in jail or just careless. It's risky because they want to feel alive. And then you have the swings of like depression and, you know, usually they're not going to kill themselves because they love themselves too much, but they might superficially like cut themselves, you know, because, oh, you'll come to the hospital or you'll come get me and you almost died. Fast friends. <gasps> You're my best friend. We're in love. We're going to go get married. Okay. Don't even know the person living in a shelter got married what you know and then oh well, okay we got divorced bye good, good and you know the other person's bad it's not them so and when you know you're around someone who's borderline they zap you you know like before you even know but you're like oh, drained emotionally yeah like how can i go down this pew down this pew down this pew away from oh this God. person because i don't have the energy to recover from this person they are also, when they are in ministry, someone who has borderline, when they are actually like they're active, they're, you know, whatever their role is, they create chaos with everybody. Mm, like the, okay. the dust devil. I think of it as like the dust, what is it called? The Tasmanian devil. Yes. Yes. That's a perfect example. Everybody else is calm, but they walk in and it's like, everything is just chaotic and it can be very exciting, chaotic, or it could be like, okay, we, you just emotionally hijacked us and we have to get on board with you. And if we don't get on board with you, then we're in trouble. Mm. And usually there's an element of like, they are super saved. They're super spiritual. God gave me this. <laughs> You're not as in tune with God. I hear God. You don't hear God. You know, there is like this element that goes with it where you're kind of like, wait a minute. Pretty with God, I read my Bible, but wait a minute. I don't <laughs> feel what you so I got questions yeah but I love the way that you're saying that because you know you're making that point that you can in fact have something going on with you mentally and have a mental diagnosis have borderline personality have all of these things but yet you can still pray and love God and go to church oh and God, yeah. just you need can't- it we can't do it we can't see that i think sometimes as christians we can't see that these things to coexist that it's one or the other but when in fact they can and again you said the thing is is that they have to know that there's something wrong admit and understand like there is something wrong and so you can't help somebody who is not willing to admit that something is wrong and when they do then we can help 
you know, a counselor, yes. somebody can step in and help. But until yes. you have that revelation, then. Yeah. Because in, you know, border, so because we're talking about borderline, borderline, in all of your personalities, they are core rooted in trauma. Mm-hmm. There was something that happened to them as a kid and they were not met with empathy. They were not supported. They had to stay in that environment to learn how to survive, you know? So it's like it, the best, the best healing I've ever seen for people is it cannot be all or none. It's gotta be, yes, you need to be active in a local church. You have to have your own personal relationship with God where, and I'm looking over here. Cause like, I've got like three Bible studies, my Bible and, you know, books and everything going over. Cause I'm in my head. I'm like, I've got to do my Bible study for tomorrow. Um, but you've got to have your own personal, you got to have the corporate part. You got to work with a therapist, a group support group and like a healthy clergy. I love working with my patients and in clergy and like they sign a release and then I can give psychoeducation to the clergy to go, Hey, they gave me permission to let you know this is a different, this is what they live with. So when you approach them, if you approach them with that concept and understanding, you're probably going to get a different response out of them. Right. And every single time there's a difference, you know, that pastor comes back and goes, Oh my goodness, Felicia, we did all this stuff. And we had a different response. None of us had to recover or there was trust built. There was something that, you know, took them to the next step of trusting that we could help you. We could be on your team, you know, but that's, it's a lot of work, but it's worth it in the long run, but it's getting that person to understand. And most people don't want to accept the label. I hear that a lot. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to, I don't accept that label that was put on me. I went to the hospital. They told me I was borderline. They told me I was bipolar. I don't accept that label. I'm not going to claim it. I'm not going to claim claim it. it. (laughs) Like if you have diabetes, I love that. If you have diabetes, I'm not going to claim it. I'm not going to claim it, but you have diabetes. The tests say you have diabetes. You have to live with diabetes. I'm not going to claim it. So um, one, a fellow CAC member, we were at conference last year and he said the best thing, I will always give him a shout out for this because I use it all the time. His name is Tim. He operates, I think, out of Tennessee, but he was like, Christians believe everything that's from neck down. They do not believe anything from the head up. Wow. So if you go to the doctor and they say, oh, you know what? You need cholesterol medicine. Okay. You, you know, you have a GI issue. You need to take probiotics. You need to change your diet. You're gluten intolerant. You have an allergy to peanuts. There's symptoms. The brain is the same way. You know, it's like, oh, well, this is from my head up. You're saying I have clinical depression. Well, there's symptoms. Well, I don't believe those symptoms. You know, you experience complex trauma throughout your life. The neural pathway in your brain, you have trauma brain, neurons that fire together, wire together. You're not responding as the version of who you are in 2023. In this moment, you're responding as the girl who was raped at 15. You know, and it's like, if you understand how your brain, it's all connected, it's connected through your vagus nerve, it goes down to your GI that God really designed all of this to work together. You, you have a better human, you have a better Christian, you have a, you have a better church because people can go, Oh my goodness, my brain is messed up and God can help. The pastor can help. You know, my pastor's wife can help and a counselor can help and medicine can help. And whoa, I'm better. 
but we got to get people to believe the stuff that's the head up, not just the chest down. That's really good. That is really good. Is that if we can, if we can re believe it, if we can understand it and believe it, and I think that that really is the, my hope is that can we understand that these things are real, that things, these things are things that people struggle with and we need to address them. So my next question, I'm sorry, you were going to say, you're going to say something. No, the thing that I thought of is um, because you had said depression too. Yes. Every time a pastor's wife completes suicide, mm. what is the thing that you hear everybody say? Mm, there's a lot of things people say. They should have gotten help. <laughs> they should have gotten help. I wish they would have told me. I wish they would have spoke up. Where's the environment that says that they can? If you've got people who are in leadership or people in the pews who have influence, going back to influencers, those people who influence and say, oh, you know what? You can't tell me that. That's not real. You just need to pray. You don't need meds. Well, hold on. But at the same time, you said, I wish they would have came to me. I wish they would have got help. It's like a double-edged, it's a, it's a double standard. You know, there's so many double standards that exist within the Christian and religious community. And that makes it hard for people to come forward and say, I'm hurting and I need help. Right. We don't give people the ability to do that, to reach out. Mm -mm. We say we do, like you said, after the fact. Mm hmm but in the process, we don't really mean it. We don't really want, we don't know how to deal with it. We have not equipped ourselves to deal with right. things. And we just want to just um, push them under the rug or we just want God to deal with it. But we don't want to take the responsibility. Right. Truly right. people or referring them to somebody that can because not everybody is going to get a degree in you know mental health counseling or marriage and family therapy and that's okay because that's not what everybody's called to do but we can point them yeah. in the direction somebody that can and get in the boat with them and go you know what you're tired let me row for you you're tired let me come and help you you know let me come clean your house let me come and take you out for a minute and get you out of the house let me sit with you for a minute without telling you a rebuttal. Mm -hmm. Let me just sit with you. That is, that speaks volumes. If we can just sit with people and let them just, that's such a big thing. You know, I had an individual that for a while, so I had an individual, okay. Their environment that they, they've, functioned in, they worked in, they lived in their community. They could not be seen as weak. Mm. You know, they could not be seen as having a bad day. They couldn't be seen as being stressed. And we're talking during 2020. Okay. Like everybody was stressed. Everybody was losing their stuff. Like the world's going to die. You know, like everybody was losing it. And this individual would come in, sit down, and they would cry 
for the entire hour. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking ugly tears, like cry. And I, you know, try to talk. They're, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk. I just need to cry. And then they would get up and they'd walk out. See you at the same time next week. Mm-hmm. And this went on for six months. You know, eventually we did, you know, get some talking in. Mm-hmm. But for the longest time, they had no safe place that they could just be broken in. And we talk about as the church, we are broken vessels. You know, we're we're broken and God's the potter. But when we see people's true brokenness, we tell them they can't be broken in our presence, but you can be broken at God's. It's a double standard. And that is, that is the truth. And that is my next question too. You've already kind of answered that is like, how can we support members of our church who are struggling with mental illness? And that you just kind of mentioned it is allow people to be broken Mm -hmm. in our presence. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't mean they got to abuse you and they got to take advantage of you have boundaries, right? You can have boundaries in the church. You can tell people, no, you can have boundaries in your marriage. Like you should have boundaries, but if they tell you something, don't, don't put it on social media. Don't tell everybody trust and be thankful that they gave you something vulnerable and honor that, you know, like, cool. We should, you shared something, create a sisterhood, create a brotherhood that we can come together and we can just be a community. You know, that's one thing my church right now is really working on. And I'm so glad to be a part of that where we're all in different you know, the small groups and we're all trying to get together and we're trying to really be there and be like, parenting is hard. Mothering is hard. Fathering is hard. And like, where can, if I go outside, I got everybody telling me how to do it, but I'm trying to be a Christian. So that's, that's how you help. Like, what's the culture of the church? If they bring you something vulnerable, are you using it as a weapon or are you guys learning together with it? Mm -hmm. And that is big about the church culture. What is an every church, every church has its own culture, every region of the country, you know, Pentecostals, we have our own culture. And so what is the culture of the church? And if we are allowed to be broken and if we are allowed to be vulnerable and we are allowed to have a safe space where we can say, you know, I'm, I'm having a bad day. I'm going through depression. And not only be able to say that, but also be able to pray for them. And I do believe in prayer and supporting them and loving them. Like you said earlier, take somebody out to eat, Um, get somebody out of the house, you know, the practical things. Um, Let me help you. But also if you see, okay, like, I think you may need to see somebody. Yeah. This is the point in which maybe you need a professional because obviously it's beyond me, but I'm worried. You know, there's yeah. a point in which you might be like, uh, you know, yeah. this is, this is needed. And learning about it. If somebody discloses to you, like if somebody tells you, Hey, I, I live with bipolar, I live with depression, you know, I live with addiction, learn about it, get some education on it. You know, you could Google stuff, listen to podcasts, you could get books, like, you know, there's all go consult with somebody. Consultation's a big thing. I spend a portion of my time, you know, meeting with people, consulting with them, consulting with pastors. You know, I do a con, I consult with a group. I sign their forms once a month. 
but being able to consult with somebody and ask real questions like, what does this mean? You would do that if somebody told you they had cancer and you were on their team. You talk to the oncologist, what do I need to do? You know, hospice shows up, what do I need to do? Everyone's like, teach me, show me. You know, it's gotta be the same way. If someone says, hey, I live with bipolar, I live with a personality disorder, I have complex PTSD. Hey, can I consult with somebody so I know how to not traumatize you, but I know how to support you? Education. Is education. Education. We need more of that. Education. Oh my <laughs> god. I've yes. been saying this and I will continue to say this. It's like it's not enough to mean well. We have to do well. And how can we do well unless we don't know? And we have to educate ourselves so that we can do better and not cause more trauma, not cause more pain, not cause more harm, because people think, and this is the, they think I've been doing this for a really long time. And I love when people say that, because it just kind of makes me, you've been doing something for a really long time, but have you been doing it correctly? Because you can be walking for 20 miles, but if you've been walking in the wrong direction, all you've been doing is walking. You yeah. You haven't actually been in going in the right direction. You're further yeah. from where you need to be. Or walking in the wrong shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, literally using the wrong shoes. Like one of my friends, she's on the CAC. We talked about one time, because um, I, sta- I staff with all of them. I'll call them and be like, hey, I'm kind of struggling with this. And she's my, you know, DID person. And I called her, I was like, hey what would be the best modality? She's like brain modality and being honest, you know, CBT, not good for them. Not good at all. And I was like, cool. You know? And I mean, even that knowing like this modality of therapy will not help this person, but it will help this person. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, high heels and stilettos walking 20 miles will not be the same as if I had on Hoka's or Brooks. Right. Have to have the right tools, the right equipment. Gotta have the right tools. You know, a uh, key a keyboard piano is not gonna sound the same as the baby grand, but you're gonna invest in the baby grand, you know, sound systems, everything. It's the same thing. It's what am I investing in? So I understand how to help, you know. And I will say a trend that I am seeing because there is so much negativity. There is a lot of negativity like, oh, well, this pastor should have done this or that pastor should have done that. I will honestly say, I have seen an upswing of pastors who are doing the right thing. They really are. They're collaborating with clinical people. They're bringing in collateral, you know, clinical people. They're asking how to help. They're asking how to document. Like, I, and it's, it has inspired me because I was kind of wondering there for a little bit with some of the different um, things that I was seeing and just hearing that I was like, hold on, <laughs> where's the good ones? And they, they're out there and you, you're seeing a change where people are going, hold up, not on my watch, not in my church, not in my community, not in my family. And that is so inspiring. So in closing, I wanted to ask you one last question and kind of in reflection of what would you like to see in the future? I know there's a lot of, you know, more counselors, a lot more um, people on staff at churches. Like, what would you like to see happen that you know that would make 
a huge difference in counseling, the major things? Um, I would say probably the few biggest things is one, when churches, districts, temples, synagogues, whatever you want to call them, when they are going to sit down and have a conversation, a panel, a Q&A, whatever about mental health, there needs to be clinically licensed people on that panel. Far too many times I see people send me pictures or, you know, I will see posts or, you know, different things where somebody was like, okay, we're going to have a round table and there's not one clinical person there. How can you talk about something if you are not trained in it? Mm -hmm. I'm never going to stand on a platform. And even though I have a degree in, you know, religious education, and I really do like read about that stuff, I am never going to profess that I am a theologian and I can go toe to toe with anybody about certain, you know, topics and doctrines, because that is not my area of expertise. It's not my lane. Mm -hmm. So we got to have these kind of conversations where, yes, you can have a pastor up there, a first lady up there, but you've got to bring in the clinical people who are trained. Right. The other thing that I would love to see is, you know, when people are, when churches and organizations are having conferences, I think it's great to have trainings on church planting. It's great to have, you know, all these other workshops. But there needs to be an element of workshops that incorporate licensed clinical people speaking about these real topics. Otherwise, you're going to keep seeing churches in the news for negative things because I have all kinds of access to trainings. I am required by law to do minimally 20 hours a year in training, you know, in ethics. But clergy are not required. So it's like, oh, you got your Mary Berry license. Good luck. See you at the next conference. God bless. That's not enough to equip them to help. And so I would love to see all the different, you know, whoever your religion is, whoever your organization is, whatever branch of Christianity, I would love to see, you know, tracks where it's like all these different conversations. But because I wasn't seeing that very often, we created our own. So we had our first summit last year and we're having our second one this year because we want to help pastors and youth leaders and everybody succeed. So yeah, I would say that's the that's the big thing. Those are the big things. Those are those are the big things, you know. And also, I would say, believe victims, believe Mm. them. Far too often, I you know, there's evidence, and nobody believes the victim. Or, in what happens is the perpetrator is protected and the victim is not. You know that that has to stop. You know, it's got to stop. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. It does. Man. Well, I have appreciated my time with you. I always love talking to you, and you and I can talk forever because there's so many things that we can talk about. And I'm so thankful that our um, our paths crossed when I lived in Indiana because you've definitely yeah. been a blessing to me and to my life. Yeah. And yeah. so there are so many other subjects to talk about. And so hopefully in the future, we can dig out some more time, definitely can dig out some more time to oh. go another way in another mental health topic. Cause there are so many. Yes. Oh, Dr. Lorraine, thank you for having me. It is always amazing. I love everything about you. Anytime girl, you just let me know. I will always come and chat with you.
Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you to all of our listeners on the exchange. I hope you all had a blessed day. God bless.